I can show you some pictures here. Uh, they, how they damage the house. And you can't, they, you know, they, it's no hacks. They don't care. In a suburb of Dublin, a woman from Zaire lives with her children. She's afraid to use her real name in case it puts her family back home at risk. We'll call her Celine. This one, those was um, the bullet uh, after they attacked the house. And those are kind of uh, gas, you know, very... Gas cylinders? Yeah, gas, uh, they use it in the army. Because that, that night, you couldn't sleep, you was in deep sleep. And that gas wake us up, everybody start coughing. And we found all the house, you know, everywhere the gas was, even the small kids start coughing and it was very, very bad. When we came out, we found the warehouse, this one, was in fire. See this house? You see, you can see, that was the a warehouse with uh, plant, you know, where we used to sell medicine and they, they burn it. And this one, here, that's the, that's the main house. That's where we live. You see the bullet and the, and the wall everywhere. So after doing this, then they leave that kind of notes. They say it's a gift. It's a, it's a gift. And that was not the first time. We've been attacked so many times. So many times. Kidnapping, killing, you know. I remember that very good because I was um, just in one building about a few hundred meters from, <clears throat> from the place when massacre happened. It was about... Uh, half 12 uh, afternoon and uh, actually one very peaceful day you know nice day for February nice day and just suddenly you know one explosion in, and uh, that was it for all day we didn't know what's happened but uh, we heard people and running from marketplace and said you know this terrible terrible and uh, then I went back home and turned on television and saw, you know, that over 70 people were killed and nearly 200 wounded. And uh, in, in some way we were lucky because we wanted to go market about 1 o'clock that day to buy some food, cigarettes and you know, for home. Uh, and then we just stayed home. Unlike Selin, who's still waiting, Mirza Chatabushic has de facto refugee status as he was invited here by the government almost two years ago. In theory, the new refugee bill will improve things for both of them. Bobby Eager is a lawyer who's worked extensively in this area. I think the main uh, issues in the bill is that it provides and it brings into, into domestic Irish law 
the Refugee Convention, with some good modifications. That, uh, there were one or two changes which were brought in at, at committee stage, which I'm very pleased with, and I think that th they are very helpful, and it's to the credit of the Minister that she accepted those amendments. So I think that's the first and most important thing. The second thing is that there is a provision for um, an application procedure with um, a, a first an a, a consideration of the case at first instance, access to lawyers, and then subsequently an appeals process. And they are the main features of the bill, uh, and are the main features of any good. Um, a, a, a refugee determination procedure. I was uh, that particularly the 25th of August 93 I was making uh, medicines uh, I just finished uh, sterilization of medicines and uh, when about 30 bottles exploded I was told that uh, they will I was told by my doctor who treat me, uh, eye doctor. They will do everything to save my eye. But uh, eventually, about November, they, they saw it's impossible. Then I moved in, an, in a special eye clinic in Sarajevo, but no, they also couldn't help me. There was UN uh, Commission of Doctors and uh, IOM who finally made a decision. Uh, my leaving of Sarajevo, when I left Sarajevo, it was just in incredibly fast. Uh, I got, uh, actually, uh, <clears throat> in-house, I didn't have phone. But the IOM organization rang my brother and said, Mirza should be ready in two hours uh, time to go out. I didn't have time to think about anything. I didn't have time to make phone calls. Even I promised to people uh, before that I will ring them when I be leaving Sarajevo. But just uh, you know, I didn't have time. Even <clears throat> that uh, leaving and uh, and that moment with my own family. It was uh, like every day. And uh, I couldn't understand, I didn't know actually, and couldn't understand that I, I really, I am going out. And uh, in that stage, I didn't think about it, that maybe I will never see them again or something like that. Kidnapping small kids from uh, school and kill them to intimidate the, the, the the parents. Oh, you, <clears throat> so you go to hospital, for example, for you are you are not feeling well. You go to hospital to see a doctor, but that doctor injects something bad to you because he got instruction. See, because there is corruption, you know, everywhere, and Mobutu is very powerful because it's very rich man, you know. That's the, the sad where we can't fight with him because he's very rich. But the only way we are using, you know, to speak out, to write, and to try to tell people. And we can't even use radio or television for that. It's going by, you know, mouth to mouth, I can say. It's very difficult. But we are trying, and it's getting mad for that. But 
you are not ready to stop. Like me, I'm here because it was a lot of problem for myself and uh, my family. And my, my relative, my parents feel that it's more safe for you as a woman to leave the country and to leave them over there. I have brothers, uncles still in Zaire, and my parents. It's not secure, but it's nothing they can do. The only thing we can do is it must be some people who, some hero, you know. That's why they're still there. We lived before the war, we lived in one multi-ethnic country with uh, so many nationalities. Not only, majority uh, was, um, were actually Croats, Serbs and Muslims, but of course other nationalities. And uh, we know very well, you know, how life looked like uh, in, in that way to live you know, in one mixture, when every third married is mixed. And uh, when you have in one place uh, churches and uh, Orthodox churches, Catholic churches, synagogues and uh, mosques, it's, I think uh, uh, there are only two places in the world, and it's Jerusalem and Sarajevo when uh, people can see, you know, and hear actually bells from from cathedral and uh, when uh, we hasn't called for uh, for prayer. And in same time, you know, and uh, it's actually what Sarajevo, what Sarajevo has and uh, Sarajevo is famous about that about old town, about history, which is, which is mixed, actually, by west and east. No empire who came in, uh, in uh, Bosnia who didn't build something special. But nobody, no empire who destroyed anything. From east came Ottoman Empire, and from the West, Austria came, Austria. And uh, all of them, they built something. And, uh, but now we see some other people came to destroy all that. Why? We don't know. But, uh, you see, it's, it's something which, which will be built again to show that... Uh, Actually, Bosnia exists and always will exist in that way, that we are not nationalists, we are not fundamentalists. Uh, we are very easy in that way. We are living with that risk for... <laughs> I can say for, 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 for generations, you know. People being killed and they still being they still still killing, still up to now he's killing. So what we can do? We need people who can speak up. But how? Because our leaders, you know, our leaders sometimes they lock them out for nothing. They lock them in for six months, 
a year is very difficult situation but we try what we can do we try I have my relative you know I can't say who he is to me he's been killed and he's a very very intelligent person who can maybe that was someone who could have helped Zaire for the future he's gone he's gone and uh, actually whatever they took from us Serbs uh, they just can't take once it's our memories it remembers and um, they took a lot from my family but it's not important if you compare with, with life of my brother of anybody in, in Bosnia you know it's not important it, it is possible to build every house to to repair any machine or you know but nobody can bring back people who died and it's reality and people should live in that way thinking you know and I hope that people learn a lot this war in during this war even people who who weren't part of that and been part of the war people from Ireland from the world who just watched on television that just to understand that war any war any guns anything can cannot solve out any problems sad and haunted by the past Mirza and Selene are now safe. The same cannot be said for everyone who sought refuge here down the years. There was certainly no coherent uh, policy. In fact, the policy was one of, if we like you, we will consider your application for refugee status. If we don't like you, or if we think, and this is the, 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 the commonest and the continuous thinking that goes on in Ireland with regard to, to asylum seekers, that a genuine refugee should have their case considered and not an, as someone who's a bogus refugee. And that is the language that's used. But the very purpose of the procedure is to see whether someone comes within the definition or not. If a person doesn't come within the definition, that does not mean that they are, quote, bogus refugees. It means that they don't come within the, the, the category of someone who's regarded as a refugee in international law. There may be very good reasons. And in my experience, it is rare for people to um, leave their country and travel to a different culture, unless there are substantial reasons for doing so. And hunger and, and uh, uh, poverty have not been widely regarded as reasons. For instance, if I could take the example of the, the civil disturbances that took place in Zaire a number of years ago, there had been practically no Zaire asylum seekers in Europe before that difficulty. After that difficulty, there were many, many Zairans. And of course, we had a number of Zairans who came to Ireland. And the example of what happened to three of them is, is quite instructive as to what the government policy was at that time. The Zairans had come by boat to France, but had never made themselves known to the French authorities and had come to Rosslare. When they arrived in Rosslare, they came to Dublin, indicated that they were applying for refugee status. 
they had gone and sought out the appropriate place to seek asylum. They were quickly brought in custody to Mountjoy and subsequently, despite the efforts of uh, lawyers in Dublin to uh, ensure that their applications would be considered, were removed back to Rosslare. They were sent on a ship to uh, to France, to, to uh, Le Havre. They then travelled six times in that direction as the French authorities and then the Irish authorities refused to have them. And it was only because action was taken on their behalf they would still presumably be on the high seas. And that was the, the, the thinking. And this was after the Dublin Convention was signed. And, and the Dublin Convention is an important document. It's important from this point of view that it says, in effect, that where within the European community, where a person applies for an asylum, they can really only apply for asylum in one country. And if they're refused in that country, then all of Europe, so to speak, refuses them. The other matter is that the country that they first come to is the appropriate country. And what Ireland was seeking to do in the Zayern case was to say, well, France were the first country. But the French authorities wouldn't accept that until eventually they they finally did uh, accept it. And, of course, we don't know what has happened to these gentlemen because of the serious defects in the French system at the moment. It's such a loose and dangerous piece of legislation or piece of, 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 of international agreement as to inevitably mean substantial litigation. And this is something which the department are very anxious to ensure takes place, that the Dublin Convention comes into effect in Irish law. In the last two years, it was, it's been really difficult to send a letter or to get letter here. When uh, Eurovision Song Contest was on in May '94, then uh, Bosnian Bosnian group from Sarajevo came here, and they brought letters and uh, they brought to me. Then I remember it's a tape, video tape, and I often watched it. Now uh, it's uh, my family actually in Sarajevo. So just one month uh, after I left Sarajevo. When my father went on Hajj, Saudi Arabia, uh, it was in May this year, uh, sorry, last year, <laughs> May last year, 95. Um, he sent this from Medina, from Saudi Arabia. And I'm not sure is this letter. Uh, never mind. It's um, uh, Evo sam već tri dana u Medini. Izvin na ovakvom rukopisu. U sobama nema stolova niti kakvog namještaja osim kreveta. Dok sam boravio u Meki, molio sam na miru da ti Operacija uspije da te zdravlje i sreća prate kroz tvoj budući život. Kada sam došao u Medinu, prve noći sam to usnio sa normalnim dnevnikom, onom što me jako obradovalo. 
he actually he apologized to me about his handwriting because uh, uh, there was no tables or any any furniture in in rooms except beds and for him it was very difficult to, to write and for me it's very difficult to read <laughs> his handwriting his doctor and his <laughs> but um, actually basically you see he went there and uh, he prayed for its holy place of muslims and he prayed for firstly for all of us for Bosnia, for all of us, for Bosnian people, for family, for me, for my operation, for my health and happiness. I have one of the letters, you know, they came in your house, they attacked you in the night, then in the morning you find that kind of letter. Like this one, it was uh, for my family. Notre mot d'ordre va réunir encore cette fois comme toujours. Comme, cette fois comme toujours, il y a un seul à la mine. Vive la journée, la journée morte de ce 27 mai 1994. Vive, vive le, le peuple qui nous écoute. Voilà ton cadeau pour l'organisation et votre accord sur le décret de la journée morte. Ce cadeau est un, est un avant-goût. Il s'en suivra d'autres cadeaux plus importants à chaque organisation des journées mortes. M'accuser de réception du premier cadeau d'amitié de notre opinion. Je t'embrasse. I can just explain to you this. Like, that is your gift. You know, after when they attack the house, this is this is um, avant good. I mean, uh, <laughs> something they do before. You know, when you, avant good. When you want to do something, and before that you have an um, introduction, I can say. That's what they say. This is just the beginning, that's it. That's just the beginning. It s'en suivra d'autres. It will be some more gift, more important, plus important, à chaque occasion. Anytime you will try to organize uh, any, any manifestation in Kinshasa. You see? That means this is a beginning. We attack your house, but that's the beginning. But we are going to send you some more gift. That gift is, you know, the bullet. <laughs> they are talking about bullet. They are going to send you some more. Every, every time you are trying to organize a manifestation. The legislation proposes to bring the Dublin Convention into force. And it inevitably will mean that, although one may think that when someone comes to Ireland, they'll be entitled to, and applies for asylum, they'll be entitled to have their applications heard. In fact, that won't happen. And it's not happening now. And that at the moment, there are clear breaches of the letter of agreement taking place. In the last three weeks, there have had to be applications for immediate injunctions to prevent the department removing a number of Vietnamese, a number of Georgians, an Azerbaijani and, and two Moroccans, uh, where they ha each of them had applied for asylum and the department was saying for one reason or another, but in particular because we're invoking or seeking to invoke the Dublin Convention, which as I say has no force in Irish law, nevertheless 
the, the department were refusing to consider their applications just as the bill was being discussed in the Dáil. It is absolutely unbelievable to me that this is happening. While being criti- critical, I also must say that the bill itself is a substantially good piece of legislation, but it has the defects First of all, that one, it seems that the department are going to use every device to avoid it being implemented in relation to a person who applies for asylum. There are also provisions in relation to what might be called the, what are called the manifestly unfounded um, uh, applications. These, uh, this is a, a, a doctrine which is developed in some of the European Union countries which had, like Germany, which had many hundreds of thousands of people coming to, over the past 10 years to seek asylum. And what they are, want to specify is that the persons coming from certain countries clearly could not possibly be refugees. In other words, that if you're coming... And one of the countries at the moment, which is quite interesting considering what has happened in relation to Ogoniland and Kensarawiwa, is Nigeria is regarded as a safe country. Myself, I start living with it, and it makes me angry, very angry, yeah, very angry, for sure. <laughs> that's what I can say. If I say I feel sad, no, that's no 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 point to be sad. Zaires belong to everybody. It's belong to any every Zarian people, me as well, as anybody else. It's not belong to Mobutu himself. Uh, that's not correct for somebody, just one person, running the country the way he wants to run it. You know, stealing. I don't know if you read in the news. He's, still, he's a very, very rich person. They sell officially $5 billion. They say he may have $5 billion. He may have, but it's, he has more. More. Because, you know, there is the first prediction. He's... He's predicting uh, copper, manganese, zinc, gold, diamond, petrol. We have everything in Zai. Zai can't be the way it is now. It can't be like that. It's a very, very rich country. Very rich country. And you see the way he's taking everything for himself. He thinks that, you know, it's his own land and he can do what he wants to do. And all the big companies, you know, I can tell you, all the big companies, the mineral who are doing mineral, is belong, he's been run by his family. My mother told me, like, oh, Mirza, from war <laughs> into war. <laughs> <laughs> because, you see, it's uh, most of... Uh, Most of news in Bosnia and ex-Yugoslavia before the war, it was about uh, IRA and about problems and troubles and, you know, and the people in general thought, you know, it's just the same. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like that, of course. It's but not. some people thought you were crazy, did they, coming to Ireland from, from Bosnia? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mirza arrived here in February 1994, one of a group of Bosnians awaiting medical treatment. Irish people, you know, I found, especially in this stage, um, very, very patient and helpful, you know. 
speaking to us, even probably they didn't understand 80% of that. And all the time we asked them to speak slowly, please slowly speak slowly, because we couldn't follow, you know, how fast they... And then the, then people uh, people were coming all the time from different country, uh, different parts of country. And I remember pre- people from Cork, example, and you know, or Kevin, or you know, it's just nightmare to talk to them. You know, it was uh, just in. It, it was good. Uh, otherwise, I I think you know, we would all get mad there <laughs> after so many months. But then eventually I, I went out from hospital and uh, uh, to Cherry Orchard, uh, which was just temporary, um, just temporary building, you know, for accommodation for Bosnians between, you know, hospital and uh, and flat or house in Dublin. Why I came in Ireland was. Um my uh, my relative, the one I say, been killed. He had a friend, friend, uh, American friend, and some other friends. That man is working in Africa, in organization. When he heard that I have a problem, he suggests me to, to leave the country, and I say it's not very easy for me to leave because they know me. They know me very well because of my position and my family's name. And he say, don't worry, I'm going to arrange it. And there's somewhere you can go and you will be safe. And he told me about Ireland. i never been here before. And he himself, he's been here so many times and he knows very well. He said, no, listen, I think the only place you can go and be safe with your family is in Ireland. And I suggest you to go there. And he's the one who arranged for me to leave my country to here. And I found, like he told me, that I'll be safe. And he told me people are very friendly. And why he chose Ireland? Because of my safety. Because of my safety, he told me you'll be safe in Ireland. And... Uh home it's very difficult to speak uh, to you know home is it's uh, my homeland is bosnia and uh, i was born there i would like to go back how and when you know it's difficult to say In the same way, uh, I would like to stay here for some time. And how long? It's not... Uh, how long? I don't know. Actually, future of every of, of every Bosnian here is really very, very unsure. My family, they are very happy, and myself as well. I feel very safe. I can speak what I think, like I'm speaking now. I don't know if in other countries they let people who come to seek asylum to speak out what they think about their own country. I don't know if they do that, but I feel free. I feel free.
and I can say what I think about it. I have knocked sometime in the morning. Tell us if you need anything. Don't worry, if you need anything, anything, just tell us. We can help you. Is there anything you want to know about where you live? You know, I didn't go out to start asking in information. You know, people came to my door. Neighbors asked me, say, I'm, I'm a nurse. I'm so, I'm so, you know, if you need any help, you just tell me. I know what I can do. I can help you. It seems to me a number of things must happen. First of all, the Department of Justice are going to have to accept that when someone applies for asylum here, they're entitled to make that application. Undoubtedly, good examples and good jurisprudence will develop once every opportunity is given to someone to make their case. And then, in appropriate cases, a person who is not recognised as a refugee, then must have their status otherwise determined. It may be that they will be granted humanitarian leave to remain. It may be that uh, they will be asked to leave. However that is determined, that should be done. And once that's done on a consistent basis, done on a reasonably expeditious basis, but on the basis that... It's not just the department are entitled to time when they want it, but that the person, the asylum seeker, must also have time to prepare the case, be properly prepared to present it. And once that's shown to be open, fair and humane, then I think this will. there's the gr- a great potential for this procedure to operate well and for Ireland to be regarded as a, a good... Uh, a country with a very good determination procedure, which they can be proud of. But if we're going to have positions where the department are saying they don't want X or Y to come under the asylum determination procedure for one reason or another, then I think it's going to be a shambles again, and they will find themselves, as they are back again, where I presume they don't want to be, in the High Court. Neither Mirza nor Celine believe it will be safe to go home for some time to come. Brother-in-law, sister-in-law, son-in-law, uncles, everywhere, you know, he put his own family. So it's very easy for him to control it, you understand? He controlled the economic, the Zarian economic is controlled by Mobutus and his family. No one else. It's very easy for him. He's using Zaire as his own. And some, some people, the one who understand, want to speak out. A long time ago, about 15 years ago, some people been killed. They say and attempt and they, they attempt to to take the power. They kill them. He killed so many people. And he's official, like they did in Nigeria. And he said that. He even said that about two months ago in November. He was celebrating because he'd been in power for 30 years. And he said, I've been in power for 30 years. And I want to say, he said officially in television, newspaper, everybody was listening and watching. Anyone who attempt to put me out would be hung. And, ju- and he said, just see what happened to Nigeria. And people are fair. Who can who can accept to be killed for you know? No one. No one. From so the point of view of Bosnians uh, and those who have been invited, they are in the position of temporary refugees here and have leave to remain here for the moment. Um, the position 
any of them who have children here, their status changes because if a, a person has a child who is born in Ireland, that child is an Irish citizen. And certain rights accrue to that family with regard to residing in Ireland, which wouldn't otherwise exist. However, it seems to me that in particular with the, Bo- the Bosnians, in particular the peace agreement that has taken place between Croatia, Bosnia and Serbia, it seems to me that there may be a push on soon in Europe to remove them back to Bosnia. And in my view, it's open to uh, people from Bosnia, uh, people from Serbia in particular, uh, the Krajina Serbs, who seem to have um, uh, no chance of going back to where they came from, uh, to make application for refugee status here. Uh, Clearly, uh, as far as I know, there are no uh, uh, programme refugees from Krajina. Nevertheless, um, it, I think the, the example would be the same for anyone from Bosnia who feels that, for whatever reason, their lives or livelihoods may be endangered by going back to the area of Bosnia they're from. I think it's open to them now to apply under the, the, the new procedure. And I would encourage them to do so. Uh, however, it's, uh, this piece is... is um from here, from here, it's difficult to speak about that. People from here can agree or disagree, you know, but it's far, it's far from, from Bosnia, you know. We are safe, if I can say that. And whoever speak about that from here, it's okay. But people should be asked there. And if I speak about that, I remember a few nights ago when um, USC actually... They called that first victory of USA Army. They actually crossed River Sava. Actually, it was difficult, especially now in in this in this um, time of the year. But one old woman said to one soldier, "You said soldiers, oh God, God help you, because you came, and maybe I will be able to return to my home." And he gave her flag from his uniform, USA flag, and she took flag and said, I hope that I will be able to bring that to my home. This means, you know, it's people are really happy, especially people who lost everything. They just, just, they hope that something will be better. They will stop to live under tents and from UN aid and they will eventually got something and maybe all of them they hope that they will be able to return home one day at the moment it is impossible and uh, I think my my opinion is for long time it will be impossible but hope, we have hope and we must we must believe that uh, Americans and uh, all um, all the soldiers, you know, NATO, will provide some um, secure, some not only peace. You see, peace. What's peace? You know, you you can have peace, but you know, it's it's. We had already few ceasefires, you know, but real peace that 
that you can go out on streets, you can go out of country and go in country, you can free go around, you know, freedom of everything, absolutely. I don't know if I can tell them now, like sit them down and say, listen, we have to go back home because they've been traumatized. Those kids, they've been traumatized a lot, a lot, a lot. A lot of things was going on. Like I was showing you the picture. Their children were sleeping when those came with the guns. If you ask my little one, he can explain you about guns, soldiers, how they attack people, how they kill people. That's for me. I want them to stay here as long as possible for them to have to take off that picture. You know, to take out that picture as long as possible. Because now I know they for this. They, they already they are kids. You know, they forgot now. You know, when they see in TV, only sometime in TV they see what is happening in other countries. Oh, mom, look, that's the same. You know, but I don't like them to have that picture. I want them to feel that it's different. It's no, it's no fighting in Ireland. It's quiet. It's peace. It's no killing. It's nothing. You know. And I want them to go up with that because it, myself, I've been through that and it makes me very angry. And that anger, you know, to take it out from my heart is very difficult. It's very, very difficult because if I think about uncles, you know, cousins, friends who've been killed for nothing, it makes me very, very angry. And I don't want my kids to go through that because it's very difficult to forgive. You can say you forgive, but it's still on you. It's very you, 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 you know. You feel like you have to do something like the vengeance, but it's not good. Because if all of us, all Zarian people, start living with vengeance, it won't be peace in that country. One day we find Mobutu is gone, and those people used to work with Mobutu. We may need them again. You may need them again, but by seeing that person and you have that anger on you, you may think, no, that's the same person. I have to do something because he killed my brother, he killed my cousin, I have to kill him. You should forgive each other, but when? When? That's the big question. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.